When we left off at the end of chapter 6, Nehemiah was facing intimidation and threats of all types uh, from leaders of the nations that surrounded Jerusalem. They didn't want the city to be rebuilt, and so they sought to intimidate the top leader, who was God's leader for God's time, Nehemiah. They sought to intimidate him so as to distract him from accomplishing that which God had set him forth to do. And, and we considered that morning how, how fear can be a powerful motivator in our lives, can it? It can be a powerful thing and we can yield to it even though we want not to yield to it. And these men thought that if they could get Nehemiah afraid, if they could make him fearful, he would stop the work and the work would would not be completed. But we saw how Nehemiah trusted God and he got to work. He trusted God and said, Lord, uh, this, is, this is difficult, but you're with me. You, you've called us to do this. And so the wall was completed after 52 grueling days of labor. And it was really clear, not only to Nehemiah and the people, but even to their enemies, who was the one that was helping the wall to be built. They perceived this work had been accomplished by the work of the Lord. So at the beginning of chapter seven that we're in this morning now, so that was chapter six, the wall was basically completed, yet the doors and the the gates had not yet been hung. What we're going to see now this morning is the response. Um, Chapter seven, by the way, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time in chapter seven, because as you glance down at the text, it's a lot of names. We'll, We'll hit on a few things. And then the, mo- the majority of our time is going to be spent in chapter 8 this morning. So um, I'm going to be reading uh, at different points from the Word. So I'm going to pray now that, that God would bless the preaching of His Word. And would you pray with me? Would you join me in this prayer? Lord, thank you this morning that you have preserved for us this account. Not so that we can simply hear a story, but so that we might learn from you. God, you have preserved this for us for a specific reason. And we pray together as your people that you would give us hearts that want to hear. Ears that are eager to perceive why you kept this in your word. You've preserved it for a reason. We pray that you would make that plain to us as we go through this time. Spirit of God, help us now. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 of Nehemiah chapter 7. If you haven't yet, turn with me there so you can follow along. This is the word of the Lord. Now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. So we see that what's happening here at the outset of chapter 7 is that the wall finally now has been totally finished. The gates are hung, the doors are set in place, and Nehemiah has other tasks that the Lord has for him in the days to come. And so he delegates responsibility to not just any man, but to, to one whom he considered to be more God-fearing than most. He was more faithful. He was more God-fearing. Why did he do that? Why did he look for that kind of a man? Well, because he was interested in the future and the welfare of Jerusalem. And so he handed off the charge. He was still the governor of Israel. 
he still retained that role, but he handed off that charge to his brother uh, so that he could be put to work in other ways. Because we see then in verse 5 and 6, I'll read it in just a moment, that God put it on his heart to take up a census of all the people in Jerusalem. Look at verse 5 and 6. Then God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it. Verse 6, these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. So what's happening here, in fact, what we have in chapter 7 is nearly an exact replication of what we find in Ezra 2. So what's happening here is that Nehemiah discovered the original census that was taken and he wanted to walk through it once again. So from verses, um, let's see, from verses 5 and 6 right on through almost to the end of the chapter, we see all the names of the people that, that came back as part of the original return of those who were in exile. Now, I want to mention, because I, we're not going to read all their names, we, we could do that. But we're not going to take the time to read all their names. But I do want to make a comment related to why God records names at length like this in his word. Why, why, does, God, why does God not just say, and there were 50,000 people or whatever the number might be? He records names for a specific purpose. And I think part of the reason is that God cares and loves about every individual. In fact, God relates to you on the basis of your name. Let me illustrate it this way. Remember, Saul, when he was persecuting the church of God, when God came to him and arrested him by his glory, he didn't say, hey, you there, walking on the road to Damascus. He didn't say, hey, you. He said, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? God called him by his name. We are known individually to God by our name. And, and that's when, you, when we read through these list of names, as I'll have some names to get through in chapter 8 as well. God remembers our names. He cares about us as individuals. And he, he died for people who have Names. And so I just want to mention that as we work through this list and then find ourselves now at verse 66, near to the end of chapter 7 in Nehemiah. It says this The whole assembly together was 42,360, beside their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337. And they had 245 singers, both male and female. So you add that all up together and you're talking about 50,000 people, roughly. 50,000 people who returned from exile, whom God brought back from exile into his place now. Now, I want to draw to your mind as we, as we think about chapter 7, which actually sets up the stage for chapter 8. I want to remind you of the title of this series. We're studying Ezra and Nehemiah because God was giving a new beginning to people who had lost their way. God was, was restoring his people to himself. 
And I'm speaking to myself and to all of us this morning. There are times in our lives when we, we may have lost our way. We maybe were a Christian as a younger person and had lost our way. Maybe we're coming to Christ for the, the first time. God has new beginnings for us. And what we are going to read here in chapter 8 is, in a very real sense, a new beginning for the people of God. Because by way of reminder, the reason that they were in exile in the first place is because God loved these people deeply. And yet they had walked away from God. They had married unbelieving people. They had compromised with sin. They had, they had brokered with the world and said, you know what, we follow God, but we're going to follow the world too, which means they didn't follow God. And so out of deep and abiding love for them, he chastised his people. He disciplined his people. And he took them out of their homes and away from their land for a season, for a specific amount of time, because he loved them. And he wanted to get a hold of their hearts. And so what's happening now is God is bringing them back. A new dawn, a new beginning is happening. They're rebuilding the wall. They rebuilt the temple in Ezra. We saw that. Now the wall is complete. It's signifying the completion of the people of Jerusalem, that he's bringing them back. And now in chapter 8, it's very exciting. We see that there's a centerpiece of God's activity as he's restoring the people of God. He's doing a new work. And, and I want to draw your attention this morning to the very centerpiece of God's redeeming, rescuing activity. And that centerpiece is the Word of God. The people gathered together, 50,000 people. Can you imagine that kind of gathering? In the open air, there was a, a, a constructed a, a place, a platform for the speakers, the readers of the Word, predominantly Ezra. There was a, a, a platform in the midst of them that they might all hear the word of God. See, when, when God wants to get a hold of his people, he does it through his word. This is why we gather every Sunday. We, we gather for a number of reasons, but primarily we gather as God's church for the word of God. That he might instruct us and speak to us and grace us with the Word of God. And so that's what we're going to see. As I read chapter 8, I want you to pay attention to a few things. I want you to pay attention to how the people responded to the Word. Watch how they asked for the Word and then how they respond. And then by the end of the chapter, watch how their joy rises because of the Word of God. This is chapter 8 of Nehemiah. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand. That means kids who could understand children. They were all there. All who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah. Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Masiah on his right, and Padiah, Mishael, Milkaljai, Hashem, Hash, 
Badana, don't hold me to all these pronunciations, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 7, also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shebathai, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Verse 9, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because... They had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and Levites came together to Ezra and the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assemble of those who had returned from their captivity made booths and lived in the booths from the days for from the days of Joshua the son of Nun to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was, listen to this, there was very great rejoicing. Let me just pause there to say, when you see a group of people and they're rejoicing, are they standing like this? Yay. I mean, a golf clap is not rejoicing. Uh, rejoicing is like, woohoo! Rejoicing. Now, it wasn't just rejoicing, but it was great rejoicing, which was like, woohoo, times two. And then it was very great rejoicing, which means there was a party going on in this place. And I want to make the correlation that it was the Lord who was at the center of that party because there was very great rejoicing. Okay, end of mini-sermon. Let me finish the chapter. Verse 18, And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So, there are a number of things going on here, and I'm eager 
to help us to see it. The center of God's mighty work. I said it already. I want to say it again. The centerpiece of God's almighty work of restoring people to himself. You see it here in the text. In fact, God moved in the the hearts of the Jerusalemites already because when they were gathered at the water gate, this section of town that was big and wide and they could all gather there, what did the people say? They said, Ezra, bring the book. They didn't say, Ezra, come on out and entertain us. Ezra, tell us some heartwarming stories. Ezra, entertain us by, by music or other things. No, they, they had a sense that God was in their midst. And they said, Ezra, bring the book. They didn't want to hear from man. They wanted to hear from God. And that's what they wanted. And so we're going to take a look at how they positioned themselves to hear from God this morning. First thing we see here, they listened attentively. They, they listened attentively. Again, a, a gathering of 50,000, a big platform in the middle of this. They gathered, verse 1 says, as one man. What does it mean that they gathered as one man? Well, I think it means that they gathered with one solitary purpose. Their solitary purpose was to hear the book of the law of God. In other words, they gathered to hear God's voice. They didn't want to hear people. They wanted to hear what God had to say. So God was moving in the hearts of his people to give them a hunger for the word. Now let me pause there already and say this is, this is one of the graces that we see, Chris and I as your pastors, this is one of the graces that we see in this church. You are people who are hungry for the word. You want to hear the word of God. You want to say to us as pastors, and I appreciate your prayers for us, your regular prayers that, that we would bring the book, that we would hear this and that, that we would sit under the authority of the word of God. You don't need to hear stories. Sometimes there are things that might illustrate it, but what you want to hear, and we appreciate this so much, is that you want to hear the word of God. And so God does his primary work. Church, hear it afresh. I'm not going to say anything new this morning. You've, you've heard all of this before, but just by way of reminder, God does his primary work in shaping us and changing us into his image, not by some preacher, but by the word of God. Now, we see that God does use people who are called and who have studied and who can help explain the word of God. This is why we have pastors who are trained toward that end and called toward that end. They, they have their place. But the primary work of God among his people is the word of God. They said together, bring the book. Bring the book. That's what we want to hear. And they came, dear church, with expectation. They were there gathered together. They came with expectation. Again, you need to test where I get all this stuff from. Look at verse 3. And he read it. From it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. So, you know, our Bible reading doesn't quite go that long. But he read it in the presence of the men and women, those who could understand. And, and here's that verse. And the ears 
of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They were attentive. Now, let me ask, why were they attentive? What had God done in their hearts to make them value the word of God? Well, they believed that God, in fact, spoke through his word. They believed that it was living and active and that it impacted their heart. They believed that God's word could change their lives. Therefore, they were attentive to the word. They had expectation. Right? When you come in the church doors on Sunday morning, do you know we as pastors, we pray that God would grant to you and to us as ministers as well, an expectation that God is going to meet with us through his word on this day. Now, you know, you think about all the elements of what we do here on a Sunday morning. We, we gather for fellowship, for sure. That's what God says. You know, don't forsake the meeting together of yourselves as some are in the habit of doing, but, but come together. Why? To fellowship, to, to be encouraged in the work of God to strengthen one another. We, we gather to, to sing the word of God. We, we want to challenge and bless and encourage one another. So we do all those things. But, but if you notice, what is the most time that we spend in this service? The most time is accorded for this time, when we hear the word of God. That's very intentional. It's because what God is doing in this passage, is exactly what God wants to do in our hearts. He wants to impact our hearts through the proclamation of his word. The power is in the word of God to change. And somehow they were beginning to see that. Therefore, they listened attentively. The teaching and preaching of the word of God has its primary role in the life of the gathered church. And it's not just just on Sunday mornings, right? This is why day by day, in our closets, in our prayer closets at home, on the, the couch, wherever you find places to read. I have my one chair that I generally sit in to read the Word of God in the mornings. When we, when we go there, we're saying, Lord, I need your Word this morning. And so, Lord, bring your book, bring, bring your Word to my heart that I might be changed, that we might experience the Lord, that we might encounter Him. If His... If his book is living and breathing, that means it has power to change us. It cuts through all of the noise. Let me for a moment ask this question. What if we didn't have God's word? Think about your life without God's word. How would we make sense of anything in the world? How would we have a sense of what's right and what's wrong if God's word didn't exist? If the Ten Commandments, those commandments upon which societies have been built, if they didn't exist, if God's word didn't exist, we, I don't even know if we'd be here, right? There would be no sense of right or wrong. Every person would do what is right in their own eyes, which in our day and age already means utter chaos. Imagine your life without God's word. And you know, I think about how often we we cruise by the life-giving words of God. We We may even read it for 
two or three minutes in the morning before running out the door, as is true of me from time to time. Just cruise by, just get a little bit, a little sip, and go on our way because we've got so many things we have to do. God's word is power to change our hearts. God shapes us through his word. And these people had a very clear sense. So they, they listened attentively. They, they were gathered together. It, it doesn't say it, but you get the sense that you could hear a pin drop because they were so eager to hear the word of the Lord. Uh, again, I, I want to note that, that five times throughout this passage, I don't know if you can go through and count them. In my study sheet, I just circled five times. The understanding of the word is critical to the people of God. That's why God gave in this context, God gave the Levites predominantly. They were priests who were to instruct and help people understand the word of the Lord. Ezra himself in chapter 7, we see that, that he was one called by God and set apart by God to help people understand the word of God as he studied the word of God. So there's that, again, that place for leadership in God's house as God appoints people to those places. May the Lord continue to raise up leaders and pastors in his church to continue to help the proclamation of the word go forward. Because when the proclamation of the word goes forward and when people understand what God has said, there is great joy. Look at verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they, meaning the Levites and some of those others that are named there, when they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading, and that led them to great joy. So this was, if you will, a time of exposition. This was a time of the reading of the word, and then there was time given for the explanation of the word as it was opened up to them. So the people, number one, people listened attentively. Before we move on, I just want to mention one other thing. Um, Preparation for Sunday gatherings is really important, dear friends. Uh, You know, as pastors, we labor in our offices um, week by week, laboring over the Word and other things. We're grateful that God has, has granted to us the ability to do that. But, you know, the pastors are not the only ones who are to to come prepared on a Sunday morning, right? You know this. Because you're anticipating the Word of God. That that makes a difference in perhaps when you go to bed on Saturday night. It makes a difference in the way that we wake up on Sunday morning. You know, in Sunday morning America, um, this is the most passive day of the week, Right? Some of you gamers might even remember Sunday Morning Lawn. It was a, a video game made on, you know, this guy mowing his lawn on a Sunday morning. Uh, and uh, that's, that's what we tend in our culture. That's what we tend to think about Sunday morning. It's a very passive day. It's a day to sleep in and ride your motorcycle and do whatever you want because it's Sunday. Finally, we've made it through the week and it's Sunday. Sunday, dear friends, is not a passive day. Sunday is a day of activity and joy and anticipation as we, the people of God, come together. And His Spirit is with us in this place. And as we hear the word of the Lord, He he stirs us and instructs us, sometimes corrects us and blesses us with His teaching through the word of God. So I just want to mention, you know, in your preparation for coming together, you know, let's, let's get here with eagerness and anticipation, church. You do this. I think we can grow more in this. I know I can. That, that we might together hear 
and encounter the word of the Lord. The, the people listened attentively. Secondly, they responded reverently. Notice what happened when the book was opened. Look at verse 5 with me again. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, the people stood. So they rose up. They got to their feet. Verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen. Amen. Lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. There were definite responses here to the word of God. When, when Ezra, you know, they, at first they say, Ezra, bring the book. The book is brought. Ezra is able to be seen because of the platform. And when Ezra simply opens the book, there's something that happens. We don't have any word that someone said, hey, everyone stand up. They simply rose. They got to their feet. Because something utterly distinct in all the world was about to be read. He wasn't reading from the good housekeeping copy on on the newsstand aisle. He wasn't reading from the Philadelphia Inquirer. He wasn't reading from some website. He was reading the living, breathing word of God. And people, the people had a sense of that. They stood to their feet. But, but that's not all they did. When he said, when he blessed the Lord in the congregation, how did the congregation, all of them, it says, how did they all respond? They responded by saying, amen. So I, I just want to encourage and remind you that when, that who's ever speaking up here and they say something that you agree with, saying amen is a good thing to do. Because when you say amen, what are you saying? I agree with you, sir. Right? So when I say, the Lord is good, you say, yes, that's right. You know what it also does when you say amen, by the way? It encourages the pastor. It encourages the speaker. So when you hear something, you agree in particular, you go ahead and say amen because it encourages one another. When God's word is being proclaimed, there is this sense of participation in the activity of what God, God was doing. This, this was not the frozen chosen there. They, they said amen. And it went beyond their lips too. They, they lifted their hands. What, what, what did that do? It, it, it helped them to signify there's something going on here that goes beyond description. They're lifting their hands to the Lord. Do you see it there in verse 6? Lifting their hands to the Lord. Because they're worshiping him. And then as they're lifting their hands to the Lord, they're bowing down before the Lord. Their faces to the ground. What a posture of humility. What a posture of worship. As God so moves upon you to take that same posture, may it be so. May may we be very comfortable bowing down before the Lord. I'm not making a prescription. I'm saying this is how God's people were responding to the word. They were moved. They were moved to tears. We'll talk about that in a moment. But just let me, let me ask you, not intending any guilt, but just to ask you, has it been a little while since you've really been moved by the word of God? Has it been a little while since 
since you heard the word and, and something within you wanted to rise up. You know, the Lord is with us, dear church. And he speaks through his word. I just want to encourage you, as you, as you hear the word of the Lord, respond to the Lord as he leads you. It could be a rising up. It could be a bowing down. It could be a lifting of hands. But God's word is active and living and it moves upon our hearts. And they said amen, lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They responded reverently to the word of the Lord. Notice what it also says. They responded to the word with tears. Where am I getting that from? Look at verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people, all the people, wept as they heard the words of the law. This is an amazing picture of God's powerful word having its way in the hearts of his people. All of God's people were weeping. Now, we don't have a description of why they were weeping. Sometimes, perhaps, they were weeping because of the conviction of sin, because God is kind to help us see the ways that we're walking apart from him. And, and as that conviction comes, sometimes it comes with tears. And I pray that we all would embrace the tears of the Spirit. I, I shared with uh, the care group leaders recently, two weeks ago, uh, I don't remember the day, it doesn't matter, I was reading Psalm 103 to my wife in our, in our living room. And um, as Psalm 103, as I was reading it, the Lord convicted me of sin right in the moment. And I stopped reading and I confessed my sin to the Lord because the Lord had spoken to me through his word. And it doesn't happen all the time. And I'm not saying, oh, saying this so that you would say, oh, what a good pastor. I mean to say, God speaks to his word. He speaks to our hearts. What, is, what does Timothy say? It cuts. Hebrews, it cuts to joint and marrow. It divides truth. It cuts straight to our hearts. Specifically, I was reading in Psalm 103. I want to give you a specific thing. It says how he does not treat us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And there was a, a troublesome event in my life that God was just convicting me afresh of how I responded poorly. And as the tears flowed, as Julie was kind to, to minister to me in prayer, as we prayed together, I got to tell you, the net result of that time when God's word just immediately spoke to me, and I, by the grace of God, was able to respond, do you know where we ended up? We ended up with huge smiles on our faces. Because when the Lord brings his conviction, he enables us to see where we need to change so that we repent of it and say, Lord, please forgive me for that. I'm sorry for that. And then the gospel just washes over us and says, there is therefore now no condemnation for you because you are in Christ Jesus. And so we were able to, to simultaneously read and hear the word and be convicted and weep. And then apply the gospel to that sin and say, Lord, you don't hold this against us. And so what a grace the Lord has for us when we go to his word. The people wept. 
they wept because the word had impacted their hearts. And I pray that God would continue to impact my heart and your heart when we go to his word, when we read it, that we would have tender hearts, not seared hearts, but tender before him. And these tears flowed. But this was a holy day, and that meant that tears were not to be a part of it. So they said, this day is holy. Again, verse 9, this day is holy to the Lord. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them to go and to rejoice. So they had, they had listened responsively and attentively. They had responded to the Lord reverently. Thirdly, they went away rejoicingly. I don't know if that's even a word, but it fits. They went away rejoicingly. In other words, they were graced by hearing the word of the Lord. Look at verse 10. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So again, let me just recap here. 50,000 people gathered together. There's a Bible reading for four hours or more. The Bible is explained. The Word of God is explained to people. They are, they are responding to the Word but with their body and with their mouth and bowing down to, to worship in the Lord. They're, they're weeping in response to the Word of God. And I think... Um, appropriately so. That's, that's what the Word of God is given to, to call forth a response for us. But then comes this reminder, hey, this day is holy to the Lord, and on this holy day, we're not going to be crying. So, go and cook your steaks. That's, let me do the Jeremy Bell translation here. Go and cook your steaks. It says, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine. Go and cook your steaks. And by the way, throw a few extra on for your neighbors or people that don't have something. Go eat great food and drink great drink and enjoy because the joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm not making this up, dear friends. It's right here. Do you see, this is the effect of the word of God. When we understand it for what it is, it, it strengthens us and nourishes us and sometimes corrects us. And we respond in various ways to it. But ultimately, what it produces in our hearts is joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, let me pause here for a moment. And I can imagine a few of us might be saying, well, that's really great, Pastor Jeremy. But I'm having trouble finding joy. I'm reading the book. And I'm having trouble finding joy. You know, what do you say to me? And I say, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. His word doesn't return to him void. And though there may may be, in fact, sorrow in the night, joy comes when? You say it, in the morning. It comes. It comes. I'm not denying the sorrow of the night. I'm not. I've had some personal experiences myself that have caused me to weep deeply. And I know the reality of sorrow. But I also know, praise the Lord, that his word ministers to even the most desperate heart. The word of God can comfort us 
like no other word. And so if you're here this morning and you, you hear the text say, the joy of the Lord is your strength and, and you're just not feeling the joy of the Lord this morning, I say, hang in there, the Lord is with you. Keep reading his word. It will minister its power and its grace. It will because it's powerful and it's alive and it speaks to us. They went their way rejoicing. Now, what's this story of the Feast of Booths in in verses 13 through 17? The Feast of Booths were... This celebration was something that Moses had instituted because God had said, hey, have my people do this. And so the Feast of Booths was a time, it, it might sound kind of strange to us, but the people of Israel would go and get uh, branches, olive branches and other branches, leafy palms, and they would literally construct these little huts. And for seven days, they would live in these little huts. Why? That sounds a little unusual. It's to cause them to worship the Lord who had been faithful to them. See, God had, had been faithful to his people when he brought them through the wilderness. He provided everything that they needed. And the Feast of Booths was an annual remembrance of God's faithfulness so that they wouldn't forget God's faithfulness. Look at verse 17. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booze and lived in the booze. For from the days of Jeshua, son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. They had failed. They had neglected to take the opportunity to, to remember God's faithfulness. And so in reading the word of the Lord, by the way, in verse 13, the, the men are getting together to study the word. It says the, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people. And, and what did they discover as they read the word? I'm sure the, the others were reading the word as well, but they discovered that they had forgotten about this feast, this opportunity to give thanks. And in rediscovering it, what was the net effect of it? Now, now we'll go back to where I had stopped and paused at the end of verse 17. And there was very great rejoicing. Very great rejoicing. There was a party going on. And the people of Israel were in the presence of God, hearing the word of God, responding to the word of God. And what was the net effect? The net effect was very great rejoicing. So, dear church, let me, let me wrap this up and bring this home. Let me uh, direct you to these, uh, these bookmarks. Hopefully you've got one. If you don't have one, including the kids, we have enough for you all. They're available at the table on your way out. Um, I want The reason that we wanted to put this in front of you is simply something to put in your Bible as, as relates to your daily reading of the Word of God. This was made, by the way, by John Piper. It, I'm, I'm copying it directly from him, so credit to him. But I-O-U-S, it says there uh, at the top. That stands for Incline, Open, Unite, and Satisfy, as you see um, on the Scripture. Incline my heart to your testimonies. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Unite my heart to fear your name and satisfy me with your steadfast love. For probably the last three or four years, something like that, as I approach the word in, in the morning when I go to pray, I, I pray those prayers. Not that there's something magic in these particular prayers. It's just a way for my heart to say, 
Lord, I'm, I'm coming to your word again this morning. I pray that you would incline my heart to your word. Lord, I, I'm dull. I'm spirit, I don't know how you wake up. I don't wake up and roll out of bed and just like all full of, I'm dull in the morning. So I'm praying, Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies. And then I say, Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see. I don't necessarily see clearly. Help me to see. Unite my heart to what you want me to glean this morning from your word. Your word is speaking. I might not be able to hear it. So, and then satisfy me in the morning. So I just, just want to encourage you, as you have your Bible, slip this bookmark in there. And it's just a way to continue to stir us together in the reading of the word of God. As God speaks to his people when we're gathered together on Sunday morning but also when he speaks to his people throughout the week. God's word is how God does his work. God's word is how God does his work in us. It's how he grows us and matures us and shapes us. And may we together, dear church, I'm wrapping up here. May we together, as God's people, Enter into God's church on Sunday mornings with eager anticipation. Because God is going to speak to us through his word. That we might listen attentively to the word of the Lord. That we might respond reverently to his word. This is unlike any other book in the history of the world. Think about all of the words that have been written down in books all over the world. In the history of mankind, can you imagine the volume of words? These words stand above them all. This word gives life, it gives breath, and it gives great joy. When we hear the word, when we comprehend the word, it reminds us that there is nothing that stands in the way of everyone who responds to the Lord to come to him, to have their sins forgiven, to have our consciences cleansed so that the things of the past can be overshadowed and in fact consumed by the grace of the Lord. Things that you have done, things that have been done to you, the Lord consumes them by his grace. And that only happens as we come to his word. So God's word is the way he does his work. And we're going to close with a song that exalts the name of the Lord. So would you stand with me now as we prepare to hear once again the word of the Lord um, in song. And let me prepare us by reminding us of what these people said together. And all the people, hear this dear church, all the people gathered as one man into the square And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord their God with their faces to the ground. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for this dear body of people who love your word. Lord, I see it in the way that they love one another. I see it in the way that they share their faith with other people. I see it in so many ways. But Lord, there's more that you want to do in our hearts. And so we pray that now by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would move in our hearts that we might bring the book day by day. 
that we might be a people who gather on Sunday mornings with eager anticipation for all that you're going to do, that you would help us to respond to you in spirit and the truth. Lord, what these Old Testament saints didn't have is the particular work of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you have given that to us. And so, Lord, now and in the days to come, open the word to our hearts by your Spirit. Speak to us, Lord. Help us to prioritize your word that we may together go our way with great, in fact, very great rejoicing. This we pray together and all God's people together said, Amen.